Yeah, so 3 a.m. alarms. I'm, I'm grateful for that technology, but I don't necessarily like hearing it in the middle of the night. And uh, our whole family went to the basement. I went to the porch. I stood on the porch. I wanted to see it, right? I mean, that's just how it works. And uh, But thankful for, uh, for none of that. It's good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. Thanks for coming. And for those of you that are watching online today, uh, people like Rob and Betsy, Jim and Kathleen, uh, it's great to worship with you this morning. As Jerry mentioned, two years ago, uh, we launched this initiative here at Genesis, something we call Greater. The goal was to raise $7.5 million over two years uh, so that together we could grow in faith, uh, but also keep chasing after three very specific goals. We want to make disciples as a church. We want to reach our cities, and we do want to be a part of, of changing the world. Making disciples has everything to do with what we do every day as a church, from kids to students to groups to outreach to worshiping together. This really is the fuel that keeps our church moving forward. Reach our cities means equipping our facilities so that we can best serve the communities that the Lord has called us to. We know we've got some physical improvements to do here at our Carmel campus. We need to find a new location for our Noblesville campus, so we're praying about these things. Change the world means generosity beyond the walls of our church to help other ministries here locally and around the world that are helping people find their way back to God. And as Jerry described last week, we launched Greater in March of 2020, uh, and because of COVID, we were forced to host our Church Commitment Sunday online, which is not an ideal scenario, uh, you could say, for anyone. And again, our goal was $7.5 million over two years to do this. We expected we would need a commitment from every household in our church, potentially around 700 commitments total. Uh, in the end, 140 households made commitments. $2.4 million was ultimately pledged over two years. Was I disappointed? Yeah, I was. If I'm being honest, I, I was disappointed. Was I surprised? I wasn't surprised. I mean, we all were reeling. We had no idea that well, what we thought were the next few months would become the next couple of years and how it would impact every single one of us. Uh, we all had questions. To be honest, I questioned my own financial commitment and whether I had the faith to move forward with it. Thankfully, many of you said we should press on that, hey, we talked about this being a faith journey. This sounds like a faith journey to me. We need to move forward. And so over the next few weeks and months, many more commitments rolled in. Some of you not ready to commit in March did so at a later date. We had new people that jumped in along the way. And because everything that's ultimately given through Genesis goes to greater, so many of you have given faithfully and boldly and courageously over these past two years. As Jerry announced last week, we are 23 months uh, into this uh, journey one month ago as of January 31st. You have given nearly $7 million, 6.96 to be precise, but we always round up because we're pastors, right? That's just what we do. But is that awesome or what? I know you celebrated last week, but can we do it again and just celebrate? And give thanks. And, and I, I want to tell you, thank you, Genesis. I am grateful for you. Um, I am so proud of you. And I am so thankful to call uh, this my church family, that, that I get to be a part of, of Genesis Church with all of you. And praise God, 
Uh, he has been faithful. He is the supplier. He is the giver of all good things. It all belongs to him anyways. And he just chooses to give through his people and through his church family. And so he has been so faithful to us. And this really is a celebration. We just said, you know what, for four weeks, let's just do some fun things. Let's do some things that we don't always do. And so uh, we're going to do a worship night together next week. We'd love to have you at that. We did fun, some fun coffee last week. There's cookies today. As Jerry mentioned, we've got some really fun plan for next week. And then this, when you came in today, I think you got one of these tickets. We, um, so we gave staff uh, one of these hoodies for Christmas, and many of you have commented on them. And so we thought, you know, let's give some of those away. And so here's what you can do. If you want to fill one of these out, and then we've got a, a yellow kind of bucket out there at the Info Hub. If you drop it in there when you leave, we're going to draw some of those out over the next few weeks. And we're just going to give them away uh, to whoever would like one. I think we'll, we'll give away a dozen or so. And so fill that out if you'd like. Uh, again, just something fun as a part of the celebration. And one of the goals that we talked about with great uh, was to make disciples. And today I want to look at a story of faith with you from John chapter 4 and also share a little bit of what God has been doing in our ministry of making disciples here at Genesis. Uh, again, thanks to your serving and thanks to your generosity. So John chapter 4, uh, if you've got your Bible and you want to follow along with us, we'll also put these words up on the screen. We've been studying through the gospel of John this year, following the footsteps of Jesus, learning from his words, learning from his actions. And we've been been referring to this map just to kind of give you an idea of geography. Way up here in the north of Israel, just on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, is a village. It's there today called Capernaum. Capernaum's going to become ground zero, kind of uh, home base for Jesus with much of his ministry activity coming out of Capernaum. But as we've read, he and his disciples will make these periodic journeys down the Jordan River Basin and to the city where the temple was located, the city of Jerusalem. And this is where many of the major festivals were located, uh, those like Passover. And uh, as we studied uh, last week, we watched Jesus and his disciples not make the return trip that most people did through the Jordan River Valley, but instead they're going to go through Samaria, where Jesus would encounter a, a woman, a woman at the well. And Jesus and this woman talked, and we quickly learned that this woman has endured a life of pain. And we're not sure how much of that is based on her own choices or how often she was simply a victim uh, as a result of evil. But Jesus demonstrated both grace and truth to this woman by offering her a fresh start in life, something that Jesus called the living water of who he is. And she was so moved by his compassion that she returned to her village with the message, come and meet the Christ. Come and I, I believe that I have found the Messiah. And it's an incredible story of healing, but also a great story of influence and how this God was going to use this woman, all right, to influence others and people would turn to Jesus because of her story. Call her one of the first disciple makers, uh, really, in the scriptures. Well, John says that Jesus stayed two more days in Samaria and then continued heading north to the region of Galilee, which is, again, this area around the Sea of Galilee. He's going to go there uh, to a place called Cana, which is where we pick up the text. John chapter 4, let's start in verse 46 today. Here's what John writes. He says, once more, he, that's Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. 
When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And so John introduces us to a man that we'll simply know as a royal official from Capernaum, which means that he was likely a Jew or not a Gentile. But because he was a royal official, it's fair to say that he had power. Uh, it's fair to say that he had influence. He had uh, money and likely a lot of money. You, you could say that he's got everything he could ever want except for the fact that his son is sick, very sick. In fact, close to death. And, and some of you know, and some of you better than others, that nothing will shatter you or test your faith like anything else than to have a sick child. And, and some of you know that from the past. Some of you might be living in something like that today. You know that pain very well. Again, you've been there. You know the sting of a difficult medical report. You've had to turn a hospital room into a long-term bedroom. You, you know the loneliness. You know the pain. You know the desperation. Money can buy a lot of things. But for this man, there was no amount of money that could help with his son. And so somehow, and we don't know for sure, this man heard that Jesus was in Cana. And so in desperation, he raced to get there before it was too late. And again, to go back to our map, with Capernaum being in the very north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, while we don't know for sure, most believe that Cana is just to the west of the Sea of Galilee, maybe 20 miles and just about 12 miles or so north of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And again, there's some debate on the exact location, but about 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. And, and Capernaum sits at 700 feet below sea level. And if you've been to the Sea of of Galilee, mountains surround it, which means this is an uphill race to get to Jesus, uphill physically, uphill emotionally as well. And he made it, and most likely in a day, and he goes directly to Jesus to ask for help. And verse 47 says, he begged Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus' response, if we're going to be honest, is a little peculiar. Look at verse 48. John writes that Jesus said, unless you people are Right? See signs and wonders you will never believe. Now, on the surface, Jesus' response here seems a little cold and unsympathetic, but there's more going on here than we realize. First, the word you even is actually in the plural. And so Jesus isn't just directing his comments at this royal official, but is more likely uh, talking to the crowds, talking about the crowds, talking about the general population that's been interacting with him, specifically their fascination with these miracles and more of a fascination in the miracles instead of curiosity about who Jesus really is. And it's not like Jesus thought that miracles were bad either. But Jesus didn't want the miracle to become the focus. In fact, you can look to John 20, 31. We've pointed this out as kind of the thesis statement, if you would, of the book of John. John 20, 31 reminds us that Jesus performed miracles and signs so that people would believe, so that they would grow in their faith. And so stories like this one are here in the Gospels so that you and I would believe and that through stories like these that we would even grow in our faith and love for Jesus. So what's the lesson? Well, I think the lesson is just this. Don't get so focused on the miracle that you miss seeing Jesus, that you miss the miracle worker. I like uh, Bible commentator John Hart says about this, his warning. He says, while signs are designed to lead to faith, requiring that God provide signs before one believes is reprehensible. 
It makes God into one's slave rather than making God into one's Lord. And so again, this is just a warning. He, I don't think he would say we shouldn't pray. We shouldn't pray for miracles. But if we get the miracle and miss Jesus, we've really missed the point. What have we really gained? And so verse 49, the royal official replies back to Jesus. He says, sir, come down. Again, note the journey. They would have been at a higher elevation. Come down before my child dies. While this story is very much a story of faith and trusting Jesus, um, let's just be clear that it's also a story of compassion too. I mean, once again, we get a glimpse of the heart and the care and the love of Jesus. And, and what is it about this man's dilemma that would move Jesus to act? I mean, he's just finished rebuking the crowd for their need to see miracles before they believe. What's different about this guy? What's different about this situation? Is, is it because the royal official is a man with authority? I don't, I don't think so. But look again what, what he asks. He calls Jesus, sir. And the fact is, when you think about it, that the man uh, here uh, in Jesus' shoes, you would say, would have been subservient to this royal official. There's nothing preventing this royal official from ordering Jesus back to Capernaum with him, to have him arrested if necessary, take him by a military you know, escort. I mean, he, he could have ordered Jesus back to his home, but he didn't. He asked Jesus in a humble way. He addressed Jesus with respect. And so what's different about him? I think he's the better example. I, I think that's what Jesus realized. I think that's what John wants us to see is in a, in, a, in, a, in a day when everyone was fascinated with the miracle, Jesus is saying, this is the faith that I'm looking for behind the miracle. This is the alternative to the crowd that just simply wants to be wooed by these miracles. This man sees Jesus for who he is. And the man asks, come down. He says, come down. He pleads, come down before my child dies. He, he believes that Jesus can do something to stop his son from dying. Even with knowing so little about Jesus, he trusted that Jesus could do something miraculous. And how did he know? Like, how did the royal official know? Well, we don't know for sure. But because Jesus has already spent time in Capernaum, maybe they met there. All right, maybe there was a, a brief encounter. Maybe, maybe this royal official knew something about what took place in Cana because there's a really good chance that word would have spread. The, the point is this, people talk, word is getting out. People are sharing their faith stories. What a great reminder for us of the power of your personal testimony. What, what a great reminder of the power of your story, of what Jesus is doing, what Jesus has done in your life. Jesus reminds us that we, as his followers, are the light of the world, that we as a church, we are the light of the world. We are the hope of, of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about being prepared in every season of life to share the reason for the hope that you have. That's why we talk about the importance of you living out your faith, We living out our faith, telling our story, you know, being in intentional about your conversations and the way that you act around others. You've, you've heard us talk about making disciples, all right? And a disciple is just simply anyone that has trusted Jesus Christ with their life. If you've trusted Jesus Christ with your life, you're a disciple of Jesus. You're a student of Jesus. True disciples, all right, are making disciples, telling others about Jesus, leading people to Jesus, helping others grow in their relationship with Jesus so that that person can go around and do the same for someone else. Why do we want to make disciples? disciples? Well, Jesus told us to, 
All right, this is the way that he lived. All right, he's commanded us to follow his example. But I'd also say that at the heart of disciple making is this desire that I want Jesus to do for you what he's done in me. I, I want you, I want, I want Jesus to get a hold of your life and change you in the same way that he has done that work for, for me. Isn't that what trusting Jesus and living for him is all about? Like, I want Jesus to do for you what he's done in my life. Like, isn't that what happened to the Samaritan woman? She races back to town. She tells everyone, come and meet the man who told me everything that I've ever done. Like, this could be the Messiah. Like, it is, is it in you? Like when, because if it's in you, when like when it gets in us, it's going to change the way you parent. It's going to change the way you think about your kids and raise your kids. It's, it's going to influence how you think about your neighbors and, and where you live. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way you think about your coworkers. Like Jesus wants to reach people through you and, and through me. He wants to make a disciple maker out of each of us. And this is what it means to see all of the world as a harvest field. You know, every person is somebody that is loved by Christ. And the more Jesus gets a hold of your heart and the more that he gets a hold of our hearts and, and our church, like the more you and I are going to realize that what Jesus has done for us, we want him to do for others. And that just means we'll do what we got to do. We'll go where we got to go. We'll give what we've got to give so that others can find their way back to God. The royal official dug deep and demonstrated the little bit of faith that he had. Notice, notice that he invites Jesus again to come back to Capernaum and heal his son, which makes sense. Uh, you could say he's not wanting Jesus just to phone in a miracle here. Uh, I mean, if the last two years have taught us anything, it's pretty much that anything that can be done in person can be done over Zoom, right? I mean, you know, and so Jesus, you know, maybe Jesus is thinking about phoning this in and the guy's like, no, 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 no. I like, I want you to be there in person. But look at Jesus reply to him in verse 50. He says, go, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And again, we don't know how much this man knew about Jesus. And even up to this point, but there was something about Jesus and his word that was so trustworthy that he took Jesus at his word and left. And I just wonder, this is something I've been thinking about for myself this past week, and maybe this would be a question for you too, like how much would our lives be different if we would just take Jesus at his word, if we would trust him at his word and live according, like how much better would our relationships be if we would take Jesus at his word? Uh, how differently might we think about our finances if we would just completely and absolutely take Jesus at his word, like the way we think about our jobs, the way we think about our circumstances, the way we think about the future, like imagine what your life and my life would look like if we would take Jesus at his word. Jesus didn't give this man a sign. He gave him his word. And by doing so, well, what Jesus was doing, he was, he was attempting to grow his faith. I'm giving you my promises. Now go in faith, grow in faith. Do you want to grow in your faith? I want to grow in my faith. I think we'd all would say, let's grow in our faith. I think there are two quick things here we could point out about growing in faith. The first one is this. You want to grow in your faith? Keep spending time in God's word every day. Make it your habit, make it your practice, your discipline to spend time in God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Colossians chapter three, verse 16 says, let the message about Christ in all of its rich, or richness fill your lives. The truth is we, we spend time in God's word and the more time you spend in God's word, 
the, the more your life becomes like fertile soil so that his word can be planted in you and that we can grow from it. We grow in faith by spending time in God's word. The second thing is just put your faith to work. Whatever faith you have, whatever ounce of faith that you have, believe God's word. Give it a test drive. You know, like we see the royal official here. What was that trip to Capernaum like? That return trip like? Like the man took Jesus at his word and left. But what happened when he got a mile down the road? Did his faith hold? Did it falter? Fortunately, the man didn't have to wait long to get an answer because God in his great mercy sent a messenger. Check this out, verse 51. It says that while the royal official was still on his way, the, the, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. Verse 52, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. I love that God sent a messenger and the truth is that he'll do that for us too. He'll put people in your life to encourage you. Um, he's given you a church family. I, I think one of the beautiful things that we've learned over the past couple of years is that a church family is so much more than just a group of people to worship with on Sundays, as good as and important as that is. But a church family can be the people that cheer you on. A church family can be those that, that help you stand up when you feel like falling down and most importantly, God will give us his word as we spend time in his word. This man trusted Jesus and believed, and God performed a miracle that is going to change his life and so many others too. You could say this, you, you could say this about this event that like what modern medicine is only able to do over time at an arm's length, God was able to do in an instant and even over long distance and this is kind of fun, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I like this and thinking about this this past week. Like God's done that in a very unique way at Genesis these past couple of years. Like for a long time, the only way we really engaged people was on Sunday mornings, you know, here in this room. You, you had to be in this room or you had to be in a group throughout the week, as important as those things were. But in March 2020, we had to think about things differently for a bit. And last week, Jerry described that, that tough day uh, in 2020 when we made the decision to cancel in-person worship services. And what I remember most is our staff team and some of you as well that jumped in and helped us get online to have a live service so that you could stream it at your TV uh, at home, which I know was a novelty for like a minute, right? Like we all thought that was the coolest thing. I, I can promise you that, uh, you know, we, we, we weren't desiring to be TV evangelists holding uh, online telethons, you know, either. I, that wasn't something we had ever dreamt of before, but God's been using that. That. He's been using that in your life and in so many lives over these past couple of years. Like, did you know the first month, March 2020, our services on Facebook alone averaged 4,400 views per week? Uh, remember, our in-person attendance before uh, COVID was between about 900 to 1,000 between both campuses. In addition, we've had people uh, participate and comment from all over the world in places like London, as far away as a soldier that was serving in Iraq. Just last week, I, I talked with a couple who have been a part of Genesis for about three years, but right after they started coming, they had a baby, uh, and then COVID hit, and so they've been engaged online, really, for the last couple of years and have just started coming back in the last couple of 
weeks, I met two women this morning who have become friends. Uh, They became friends through an online Bible study over the past couple of years. And then they found Genesis Church online. And uh, so one lives here, one lives in Noblesville, and they've been coming to services here, but they got to know Genesis uh, as a result of being online. I met a young woman at our Noblesville campus a few weeks ago. And she was all excited to, to meet me and to say, hey, I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of Genesis Church. And I'll just be honest, like when I meet somebody for the first time and it's like their first time at our church and they're so excited about calling it their church home, like I kind of want to encourage them to like just hang around for a little bit, you know, because we're not great at everything and we're not perfect or anything like that. Like you need to see us on our worst days and our best days. She said, oh no, I, I've been watching for a few months online. I've already made the decision. This is where I want my church to be. I want to be a part of this church family. Some of you were here when Kelsey got baptized uh, about a month ago. She got to know Genesis through our online services. Most importantly, she heard the good news of Jesus, responded in faith, and she's living for him. God is able to do over a distance what we don't know and aren't able or capable of doing. People finding their way back to God, even as the circumstances made it difficult. Praise the Lord. Well, for our royal official up in Capernaum, What God did is not only going to change his life, but change others. Look at verse 52 again. It says, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Verse 53, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus has said to him, your son will live. And then John includes this note. So he and his whole household believed. It's like a super spreader event, all right? In this guy's house, okay? This faith event in Capernaum, the man believed. All right, it says his whole household, his family believed, his servants believed, and we have no idea how many others came to know and trust Christ as a result of this event. It reminded me of a statistic that Billy Graham shared at a crusade a number of years ago. He said that in a family with no Christians, if a child finds his way back to God, there's a 25% chance that the rest of the family will. If a mother follows Christ, there's a 40 to 50% chance that the family will. And if a father accepts Christ, there is a 60% chance that the whole family will follow Jesus. Parents, all of us, you have more influence then you realize, and this God of ours, he can, as we see here, reach a family. And some of you maybe know that story in your own home, but we also know and believe that he can reach a school, that he can reach an office, he can reach a team and a neighborhood too. And he doesn't need us, but man, there must be joy in our God's heart and seeing people who will faithfully serve and live for him. God can use anyone. He can use you if you're seven. He can use you if you're in middle school or high school. He can use you if you're married or single or if you're retired, like anyone with faith, anyone really with a passion for wanting Jesus to do for you what he's done in my life. That what Jesus has done to me, I can't hold that in. That's gonna come out in my words and actions. This is why we think making disciples is the best way to help people find their way back to God. That as much as we love Sundays, that's only a part, a small part of the work that we've been called to because God wants to equip you. He wants to equip every single one of us to reach others for Jesus. Again, for Jesus to do for you what he's done in me and not because I'm perfect, but because he is. And Jesus is everything that we need. I think it's so fitting that Jesus ran into this royal official when he did. 
again, likely a Gentile, because if you look at the last three stories that we've looked at here in John, we had Nicodemus, a Jew in Jerusalem. We have the woman at the well, a Samaritan in Samaria, and now we have this royal official, a Gentile. And I just don't think it's a coincidence that this command Jesus gave his followers uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Well, just look at it for yourself again. This is before Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, we read, but you will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to the Jews, to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles and leave it to Jesus to model for us what it means to be a disciple maker. One other cool thing I read about this story this week, and even though we aren't told the name of this royal official in scripture, church tradition holds that this royal official was likely a man by the name of Cusa. I don't know if that's, if that's how you pronounce it. C-H-U-Z-A, a steward of Herod Antipas, who was in charge of tax collection in Capernaum at the time. And it just so happens that Cusa's wife was a woman named Johanna, who Luke chapter 8 tells us became one of Jesus' primary financial supporters. This is another thing that just inevitably happens with the disciples of Jesus when they see what Christ is doing in their life. As they have to respond, we realize that it's better to give than to receive. We want to invest in ministries that are doing the same for others. And if I can be honest with you for just a minute, again, I've been so encouraged by those of you that have given and given faithfully to Genesis Church over these past couple of years. Two difficult years, right? I mean, we've all got a story and it's been difficult for every one of us in so many different ways, but God has been using these past two years, I know, to grow my faith in new ways. And I hope he's doing the same for you and your faith. I mean, even giving to greater for us was something that stretched my wife and I in ways that we weren't expecting. But that's why I'm so encouraged uh, by you and by this church. Those of you that have, have given, those of you that have prayed and served and remained over these past couple of years, I'm, I'm thankful for those of you that over the last two years have come to Genesis and, and gotten planted into the ministry of this church, and you've started investing in the ministry through Genesis. Thank you to those of you that made a courageous pledge with us to greater two years ago, maybe one based on faith, and you had no idea how you were going to fulfill it, but you've been faithful, you've kept at it, and your faithfulness I just want you to know that it's encouraged me and it's certainly going to encourage others and bless others along the way. And so thank you. Your investment in ministry back to the Lord through Genesis is helping people find their way back to God. And I hope that you know uh, that we don't take your gifts uh, lightly by any means. Like we know there are so many other places that you could give and invest in, but that you would choose to give and to invest and to trust through Genesis. Well, it just means so much. And I hope you know that we work hard to be good stewards of your resources uh, when you give back to God through Genesis. And so one of the ways that we want to show you what's up is when you leave today, uh, we're going to hand you a copy of our 2021 annual report. And this is available through our website too, if you want to check that out. But you'll get one of these when you go today. And I just hope that sometime today or in the next couple of days, you'll flip through it and read it and look at some of the information and stories and maybe it'll prompt a question in you. And I just hope that you know, if you've got questions, you can let us know for sure. But I want you, I hope that you will take some time, whether it be today or tomorrow, 
And as you look through this and you see a little bit of what God is up to, will you just join us and will you pray and give thanks to the Lord for he is good and he is faithful. And we are so, so incredibly grateful for what he's done through Genesis and how he's provided and the story that he's telling and what he has ahead for our church. We are trusting him and we want to keep trusting him together. And we invite you to be a part of that with us, but we want to thank him. And let's do that right now. If we can, if you'll join me, you bow your heads. We just say, Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for who you are and what you gave. You modeled giving to a degree that, well, we could never. And man, we just can't completely understand. And that is that you gave your son who gave his life that we might have life and salvation and healing through him. We thank you. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and for how you are giving through your people, through us, through this church, growing our faith, that by grace, you just continue to grow our faith and our trust in you and for your provision and for your blessings and your abundance, Lord. We give you thanks and give you praise. We are, we want to follow you. We realize this journey has not yet ended. And so we follow you from here each day, every day, every single one of us, Lord. We are trusting you. Thank you. And would you increase our faith? Would you teach us to be people who hear your word and put it to practice? And would you change us in the process so that we become a little bit more like Jesus each day? Father, give us faith. Give us faith to trust you and your word and all of your promises. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.